Help support the Candid Frame in bringing you awesome conversations with great photographers. You can do this by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. That modest donation helps us to bring a quality show to you every week. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. This is Iparian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Over the span of a creative lifetime, a photographer will have periods when the work doesn't come as easily, or maybe not at all. It can be an incredibly difficult time, regardless of whether you're a professional or an enthusiast. Such periods are incredibly frustrating and lead to moments of self-doubt. But the truth of the matter is, such moments are a natural part of the creative process. Without them, we would lack perspective and appreciation for those moments when creating the work seems effortless. Such times offer moments of reflection. It's, it's an opportunity to reassess how and why you do things. It can help you learn what different choices you need to make in order to reach a new and different level. Landscape and nature photographer Brian Mateusz has been working through just such a moment in his life. A geographic move from Portland to the Midwest and eventually back to Portland resulted in changes that disrupted the way that he had become accustomed to photographing and working. But that kind of struggle is often a solitary one. But when you're a photographer with thousands of followers who have come to rely on you for information and inspiration, it can be a difficult thing to face. Yet it's provided him a perfect opportunity to reconsider not just the kind of photographs he creates, but how he wants to use them to communicate with others. It, you know, it, it, so many people have created photos, right? So many, and, and it's gone to the point where it's so boring to me. I, I am so utterly bored of seeing beautiful sunsets and Milky Way shots and, you know, it, and, you know, beautiful vistas with big mountains and, you know, nice fog and atmosphere and depth. I'm so bored of it, of seeing it because there are so many photos. So many people have created so much that it, there, it does. That's why I believe it's so important that photographers become not just photographers, but storytellers. When you reevaluate yourself during such times, you realize that you have to make different choices. You discover that certain things that may have inspired or helped you have become a hindrance. They're slowing you down. And that's how Brian began to think about the role of social media in his life. I used to love social media. I used to love the, the, the whole science behind it and, and, and also the kind of creative opportunities of, of, of what it, it offers. But it has become, to me at least, um, uh, kind of like a plague. And it has become a commoditization of creativity. Uh, it has uh, supplanted what I think the true form, the true nature of creativity is and replaced it with this false sense of, uh, of worth. Uh, and, and it's, it's, this is not anything new to the dozens and dozens and dozens of, of blog posts and videos and podcasts have talked about people who, um, they, uh, they assign the, the quality and the worth of their work and themselves as creatives based on the response or the engagement of a, of a photo that they share. We'll talk to Brian about reestablishing his creative life and routine in Portland and why it's so important for him to be measured by more than just an individual set of photographs. And later, I'll talk to you about a podcast that may forever change how you listen to an interview. Welcome to The Candid Frame. All right, Brian, welcome back to The Candid Frame. It's been a long time since I've had you on the show, but uh, welcome back. Good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me back. It, it has been a while, but uh, I'm glad that we, we you know, caught up last week and have this opportunity to chat. Yeah, and you've been through a, a number of changes and some uh, 
two at least two major moves since the last time we talked. So why don't you catch us up with for people who may not know your story? Sure. Tell, tell us about you know your adventures and traveling around the country and living in different parts of the U.S. and what brought you back to Portland. Well, Portland brought me back to Portland. If we're if we kind of not to put too fine a point on it, so Nicole and I, my wife Nicole, uh, we're both self-employed, you know, working photographers, and we had been living in Portland for four or five years. And and for me, you know, earlier on, it was it was a combination of working either for On One or working at Google, but living in Portland and then also building my photography career. So there's a point where I decided to just go at a full time. And we decided, well, let's reduce our cost of living. So Nicole is her family's from Nebraska. So we're like, well, we can be closer to her family. I'm I'm from New York City, so going from Portland to New York does not reduce our cost of living. (laughs) (laughs) So we moved to to Nebraska with the best of intentions to Lincoln, you know, state capital, which is where again she's from. And yes, our cost of living was was significantly reduced, you know, by over over half. But we didn't, I think, anticipate the kind of hit to creativity and productivity for creativity um, moving there. Not to knock it, but when we were living in a place as kind of creatively rich and feature rich as the Pacific Northwest, that was a a change of pace in every sense of the word. Mm. So um, we made it about seven or eight months before we decided to, um, yeah, we need to sell this house and move back to Portland. And so we're just pretty much from, from the date of this recording about a month back in Portland. Wow. So when you say it took a hit creatively to move there, what was what does that mean practically in terms of were you hardly shooting, not shooting at all? What did, what did that look like? Uh, so that is actually pretty much it. So uh, just for, I just brought Lightroom up just to see really quickly. So in 2015, according to my Lightroom catalog, I had 17,500 photos. Uh, 2016, I had about uh, 15,000. 2017, when I left, it went. It dropped down to just under 8,000. And so far in 2018, and as far as total photos taken, I have 2,400. So if we're talking about it at, at purely at a volume of photos taken, yeah. the, that, that kind of a hit was dramatic and very, very kind of acute. I didn't expect it. And, and, and if you're not shooting... You know, then it's very hard, especially if your business is built and not just your business, but your brand and everything that you share online is built atop of new photos and not having to con- keep going back to the well with older photos. You know, that's a that's can be a crippling thing. And then that, that kind of one thing feeds the other in terms of like, OK, you're not shooting, which kind of feeds your kind of lack of creativity, which kind of mm-hmm. feeds a lack of happiness, especially if happiness is tied to your ability to create. So it was, um, yeah, that was, that was it. It was just, <laughs> we just weren't shooting. We thought by reducing our cost of living, we would be able to travel more. Right. Uh, and in theory, that's true, but we didn't also expect just how, uh, you know, listen, no, no offense to, to Nebraska at all, but like Lincoln and Omaha airports are, are pretty awful. Like <laughs> if you want to fly anywhere, it's really bad. And it's very expensive because you can't fly just about anywhere direct. Hmm. Uh, whereas with Portland, which is a, a quite a nice international airport and keeps growing and, and improving. It, it was a lot easier for us to get, you know, we're four hours from Hawaii or it can be four and a half hours, five hours back in New York. And then, you know, from there, the rest of the world. And, and for people who are not familiar with the kind of work that you and Nicole produce in terms of imagery, why, why don't you describe that and, and why that move was especially um, impactful in terms of your inability to be creative? Sure, sure. Um, so we're not... I don't, and I'll speak for myself, but my business model is not a traditional kind of working or professional photographer who has clients, you know, who does things like that. My business model, the way I generate income is uh, I create educational content, uh, you know, or I upload, you know, stock photos to, to Stocksy, which is the, the, the stock, the micro stock house that I work with or the agency. And so if I'm not creating new photos, then I don't have new you know, source material to create, you know, tutorial videos or preset packs or, or, or eBooks or anything like that. Uh, because again, you can only go back to the well uh, so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it really started to affect us, you know, specifically, you know, in that, in that professional realm where we just didn't have, the only thing I created was a, um, 
uh, a product uh, kind of it's called it was called the big sky kit and they made it specifically for on one and it was all about sky replacement and the reason why i was able to create it is because unlike here in portland where it's pretty much either blue sky or gray sky in in lincoln we had this that was one good thing we had non-stop you know beautiful uh days of like with big billowy clouds and so i was able to just take photos of, of skies yeah. and then create a product around that but that was the extent of my productivity uh, you know i completely relate the last this this year uh, and until just recently, I mean through May, I was very productive. I, and by productive, I don't mean that I was creating a lot of photographs, but that I was very intentional about the photographs that I made, and I was seeing my development in a way that I don't think I was as conscious of last year. Part of that was that I I've been working on sort of a, a system to assess my. Um, my progress in my photography, like every three months. So I basically, in Lightroom, I have I have a I have a system where, uh, as I rate and rank images um, that I download, images that are ranked or flagged in a particular way are, are collected, and then every quarter I go through those images and then I sort of call them and narrow them down into a collection that, at the end of the year, I'm going to consider and. Uh, I'm going to consider in terms of determining which ones were my best images. So I've been like keeping track, you know, each month, how many images am I producing? What's, what, what, you know, how good are the images? Am I doing anything differently? Am I repeating myself? Are there certain areas that where I intended to make more, uh, more of those types of photographs? Am I doing it or am I falling behind? All of that stuff. And then sure. in June and July, it was just like hit the brakes i was barely producing anything and uh, why do you think that's the case well part of it is just uh personal stuff that's happening my mother-in-law is going to be moving in with us so we were dealing with all the logistics with that we are converting the garage in the back which is going to be my office slash studio and all of a sudden there are just all these things that i had to Consider so my my whole schedule was often thrown off because I have to do this and I have to do that, and I usually have my camera with me all the time. But now I was oftentimes, you know, getting to some point to take care of some sort of business and to rush back to see if I could squeeze in whatever work I could do so it didn't roll over until the next day. So I really wasn't as as conscious of seeing and and grabbing shots as I as I can because I don't. It's been a lot less of me going out and shooting, say, two or three hours in Hollywood or Venice. Or Most of my imagery has been a result of me just having my camera and me going through my day and creating pictures. And oftentimes that's involved me making sure that I leave early so I have some leisure time to just sort of wander about, walk around. Or if I do find a spot that I can stay there for 20 minutes and I don't feel like I have to be rushed anywhere to get back. And that's kind of dried up in the last couple of, couple of months. So it's like, I'm not too worried about it. I, 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 I didn't, in the past, I would have beat myself up for it. All right? Why aren't you mm-hmm. making more photographs? You, you know, and just beat myself with a bat, right? But now it's kind of like, okay, I recognize it. I see what's going on. I have a vacation coming up in two weeks. So I'll be making a lot of pictures on, on, the, on the vacation. But for me, just being aware of it, I think was valuable to me and not punish me, punishing myself for my lack of creativity, you know, cause I know, I know yeah. what I need to do to get, to get back to it. And I have, I have every confidence that, that once all the stuff is settled in, once my mother-in-law's moved in and the garage is finished and, you know, back from vacation, I'll get settled into my relatively normal routine and I'll get back into being creative. So that that's, so I, even though I didn't move to the Midwest, I completely understand and sympathize with with those moments where where the well you know runs dry. Yeah, I mean the the way that I see it. So it's all about, in my opinion, trying to, I guess, keep yourself busy with as much meaningful uh, responsibility as possible. Mm-hmm. And one of the pitfalls that I found, especially when I was uh, in Nebraska, was it was it was I. I was converting myself inadvertently from a creator to a consumer and mm. of content. And in my opinion, 
the consumption of content is something that I am very, um, I try to, to keep a very close eye on how much content I consume throughout the day because it's so easy to um, click, you know, my little YouTube uh, bookmark in Safari or uh, tap on the Twitter uh, icon on my, on my iPhone and boom, a half hour is gone. And the problem is that as a creator, I want to create as unadulterated as possible. I mean, I want to create what I want to create and not create something because there was some sort of an influence on something that I saw in someone's Instagram feed because that just becomes derivative. So I went actually as far as to uh, delete, like I deleted Twitter and Facebook off of my phone and my tablet uh, and I deleted the bookmarks. And if I really need to do something on, on, on there, I'll go to the, to the, you know, the website, twitter.com in, in, in my web browser app because I found myself in the absence of creating I was consuming hmm. and I, I, and it's not to say that you shouldn't consume. Of course you should consume that. I mean, what, what is, if I'm creating art to share, if it doesn't get consumed, then it kind of goes into, you know, of course you, you create it for yourself, but you also want to share it. I, I genuinely believe that the, the, the full life cycle of uh, art is it, it ends with it being shared. I don't, I don't know very many artists or creatives who create solely to kind of keep it hoarded for themselves. So it's it's kind of a balancing act. And I don't know if that's something that you've experienced where I never really feel very good about myself. Um, creatively speaking, when I've spent, when I just burned an hour on YouTube or on Twitter no. or on Facebook. No, I completely, I, I get sucked into that trap very easily. So I've had to be very sort of conscious of it. Um, as of late, I've been probably more hyper aware about how I spend my time during during the day. Everything is, I mean, virtually everything is structured short of me brushing my teeth and taking a shower. I mean, I don't have that on my to-do list. But you would be amazed at some of the more mundane things I have on there and just how I have to have everything sort of scheduled and regimented so that I don't feel like I have the luxury of being able to sit there and browse Facebook or, you know, watch YouTube, YouTube videos. Now, increasingly, I'll, you know, by the time I've wrapped up my day, which is usually about five or six o'clock, I have to prepare dinner. And then after that, um, if I want to watch, you know, YouTube videos or whatever I want to do, I'll sit there and do that. Um, my television consumption is, is contracted. I used to watch so many different shows. Now it's probably like I have one or two shows that I want to watch. And other, other, than, other than that, it's just like my wife gets, here's the remote control. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the consumption should be a reward for creation, uh, not a substitute for it. So one of my favorite feelings, um, and it's something that I'm, I, I really need to try to uh, to to kind of foster more and more is that feeling of, oh man, like it was eight o'clock a minute ago and now it's like 4 p.m. And I've been busy. I've been creating, yeah. but doing something. And so that's something that in the absence of, you know, if we're talking about being productive, creatively speaking, there are a ton of things that, uh, you know, you can do. I, um, I've been taking a page out of Nicole's book. So she, um, she recently went through this exercise of, pruning her you know on her wordpress blog we've both had a blogs for over a decade with hundreds and hundreds of posts especially if you go back to the earliest ones like if you if for those of you who who have wordpress sites if you go to the posts section and then um you know your posts are listed out in pages if you click on the the little double arrow which brings which will bring you all the way to the oldest posts and mm. you look at those and those are really eye-opening how bad some of those are for me <laughs> so with nicole what she was doing she was pruning it Removing posts that were that had no, you know, they were like I, like kind of empty calorie posts, really no mm-hmm. substance to them. Uh, she she cleaned up her categories and her tags and really refined the website to be a, a kind of a font of knowledge or a resource for photographers. And so that is you're you're being creatively productive without actually going out and taking photos. And so you know there are still plenty of things that one can do. 
uh, if one kind of is motivated enough. It's not glamorous. It's not, <laughs> trust me, yeah. it's not glamorous going through your old WordPress posts. And one, it's cringeworthy, but two, it's, you know, it, it's just kind of housekeeping. Like just before we started recording, I was uh, working on a, on a banner for my website. And then before that, I was adjusting the padding of the footer of my website just to give it a little bit more space. So it's not anything, uh, you know, like exhilarating, but it's all in the name of, you know, in some kind of a Venn diagram of creativity and productivity. Yeah. I've been focused on those activities that are furthering the things that I want in my life rather than just, like you said, time that's just filler. It's been especially important since I tried to get, now I'm trying to get to bed like 9.30, 10 at the latest Mm -hmm. because I try to hit the gym at 5.30 in the morning. And so it's just like if I go to bed after 10, 1030, the likelihood that that's going to happen, you know, dips considerably. Well, let me ask you, are you a creature of habit? Like, for instance, are you okay with eating the same breakfast and lunch? Not even dinner, but just breakfast and lunch. Can you eat the same breakfast and lunch every day? Pretty much. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> you're so lucky. I'm so, that is one thing that I don't know if, well, I'm sure it's just a matter of discipline. But for me, because I'm also, I'm, I'm, I've restarted working with a personal trainer. I'm trying to get my fitness back on track. It's not trying, I'm doing it. But I know that diet is, is if anything, it's probably more important than the actual physical activity, uh, depending on your goals. Mm-hmm. And so if I were, it, all I need to do is just have, you know, my, my, my trainer provided me with a, a wonderful <laughs> like spreadsheet of the things I should be eating. And I can go maybe two days. And then I have, my body has a physiological reaction where I can't eat that. I can't eat that yogurt anymore. I need something else. Yeah. And I, I'm so jealous, genuinely jealous of people like you who can, where structure and, and, and repetition is something that's not, it's just normal. It's, it's, it's routine. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that as an advantage. I mean, sometimes when it comes to that stuff, it's just, it's just fuel to me at, at those moments. Right. And then every once in a while I go, you know, I should probably take much more pleasure in eating. <laughs> so it's, it's a, you know, it's such a such a pleasurable experience, and sometimes I just forget that sometimes just a really good meal is is something worthy unto its to itself. But you know, I I'm living I'm living here, and I'm alone in the house most days except for the dog. So most of the food I put in my mouth is just to get me through the rest of the day and then I'll cook dinner at night and then I'll be like a little more like creative and, and, and do something sort of fun or interesting at that point. But man, it's yeah. Yeah. I I can, I completely sympathize with that getting into that sort of regimented routine if you're not accustomed to it. Well, I Uh, think is it, 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 there are parallels that you can draw between um, routines in terms of uh, maintaining yourself and then the routines in terms of, uh, occupying time so that in some form or fashion you're still being you're still creating or being creative and I'm, I guess I'm putting very big air quotes around that those words but the 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 alternative is it's not good and it's something that you know I have I've had firsthand experience the, this year has been a very very uh, rough year creatively speaking and it it it's funny it kind of is I, I think akin to that I can't remember I'm going to paraphrase but that quote of like you know it takes 10 years to build a brand and, you know, a minute to ruin it or something like that. But it's the same thing if you kind of juxtapose with creativity. Uh, you know, it's, if you're on a roll and you're working, you're building like you're doing your podcasts and you're putting out new photos and you're putting out new videos, you know, that takes so much time and, and it compounds on itself. But once you kind of stop, even for like a week or two, all of that, I think just kind of, it almost erases itself. And you have to start over, and it's that can be a very um, daunting and exhausting prospect to, to think. I know it, it is for me, um, and it, it has been a very it's been difficult. I'm you know not going to sugarcoat it because I've become very bored with with social media. I used to love social media. I used to love the the, the whole science behind it, and 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 also the kind of creative opportunities of. Of, of what it, it offers, but it has become to me at least kind of like a plague and it has become a commoditization of creativity. Uh, it is 
supplanted what I think the true form, the true nature of creativity is and replaced it with this false sense of, uh, of worth. And it's, it's, this is not anything new. Dozens and dozens and dozens of, of blog posts and videos and podcasts have talked about people who they, uh, they assign the, the quality and the worth of their work and themselves as creatives based on the response or the engagement of a, of a photo that they share. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a, a very dangerous, you know, if you don't have your priorities right, that's a very dangerous hole, hole to fall into. And I, I found myself in that hole for as much as, for as much as I've, I, I, I've, I've kind of uh, talked about it, that and the, the war, you know, the warnings of that it's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a very seductive thing that um, if you don't, you know, I, I like what you, what you said in terms of your, your regiment and your, your to do's, your tasks, I think much like I think even even the act of sharing photos on social media in a way is still a form of consumption because the the, the sharing of it, it it's such a passive thing and really all you're doing is you want to see you're consuming how other people consume the work uh, so so what I've been trying to do past couple of months is really focus on again there's there's if you want to take it back to the kind of the food analogy mm-hmm. there are the kind of empty calories, you know, sugar-free, these kind of empty carbs that, that will fill you up in the short term, but ultimately uh, end up hurting you uh, versus like really f- having, you know, lean meats and, and proteins and good fats and stuff like that, stuff that's uh, enriching and will, will fuel you. I'm trying to focus my time on, on cre- you know, that kind of creativity or those kinds of tasks, uh, whether they're exciting or not. And so uh, it, it it's, it may sound like someone who's listening might, might think like, wow, that's, it's really seems like a, a basic, like an obvious thing. But, but I, to me, it's not obvious. Like I, I went down that rabbit hole pretty deeply and I'm still climbing out of it, uh, creatively speaking, but I'm glad that at the very least, I'm now kind of aware of, of it, of the importance of really uh, mapping out how you spend your time. Yeah. A good part of this year has been spent writing what's going to be my next book, which is out in December. And so a lot of the photography that I was creating had a lot of intention behind it because I was looking for newer newer images to illustrate the book. But one of the things I was really enjoying was just enjoying the process of writing because this is the first book that I've written in three years because I had written some other books and I had just been burnt on it because they weren't really books that I had initiated. They were just basically proposals that were sent my way and said, hey, are you interested in writing blah, blah, blah? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I, I could do with the money. And I, sure. I would write those books, but it wasn't my heart really wasn't in them. And after this last one, I was just like, okay, enough. I need to take a break. And when I came up with this idea for this book, I was really enthused about it, and I really looked forward to it. And I have to say that this was the most pleasurable experience I've ever had writing a book. And spurred by that, I started looking at how I was using Instagram, and I was using it in the way that you just described. And I said, well, let me just write some stuff that goes along with the photographs, you know, which is just talking about my creativity or some sort of anecdote. And I found that that, I like that part of it. I like the fact that I was combining the pleasure I was experiencing in terms of writing with this post that I was, you know, making on 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 Instagram. So it wasn't just about putting up an image and then waiting and seeing what the kind of reaction was. It was like, oh yeah, it's giving an excuse to write something. And so I, well, I've I've always I've always had a strong opinion about in terms of the. I, I, I would think that uh, if you ask someone how, how do you differentiate one photographer from the other, I, I, I would say that the knee-jerk response is, well, you know, one person make a stronger photo of versus you know another person. And I disagree with that. I think one of the, the the best ways that you can differentiate one photographer from another, especially in this kind of Instagram age, is how, how well that photographer can uh, immerse you, the viewer, in the photo beyond just the photo itself. I think. Um, Photographers who have an ability to write or speak well in a way that, in an engaging and, and engrossing, immersive way, will always be the stronger photographer. Because for me, at least, uh, especially 21st century kind of digital photography age, photography is, has become kind of a multifaceted experience. Meaning, it's, it, uh, for me, speaking just for myself, the, the strongest photos are the ones that go beyond just the visual. It's not just a strong photo. 
but there's also something anecdotal to it or there's an experiential component to it that uh, that is provided by the photographer. So when you say, you know, with this book, you know, I, I completely get it. And here's a perfect example, kind of a more, I guess, more more uh, pedestrian example. I create a, a blog post, let's say, on my, on my blog. And I, I, I add the photo and then I type out the the, the experience, the, the you know, what I want you to understand. That to me is is exceptionally, uh, you know, that's a very uh, enjoyable process. But then... Uh, there's this administrative component to that, the kind of SEO <laughs> side of things, making sure that keywords are are there, making sure that um, this the Google snippet is properly formatted, and that my little uh, Yoast SEO plugin gives me a little smiley face saying that yes, this is this is a good SEO. You know, that to me, that's the boring stuff, but it's still necessary. Where I find my real joy um, beyond just the photo, the, the the photo side of things, the actual visual. I, I, the most joy I get out of that, that's when I, uh, when I actually take the photo, when I'm out taking it, and also when I edit it, because I love, I love the, the, the act of, of digital manipulation uh, and post-processing. And so the, the sharing of the photo really doesn't do much for me, the actual photo. So I need to supplement that with writing something about it. And I think that's what, you know, when, when I'm listening to you say that, that's where, what I get out of it is like, there needs to be something, to me, it has to be at this point more than just the photo. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've just launched a new Candid Frame email list. We, we tried it before, but nothing came of it. But that's changing today. I love that you listen to the show and that you support the work that we do here. But I really want to get to know you better. You are one of thousands of people who listen to this show every week. Heck, you do more than listen. You invite me into your head every time you download and listen to an episode. That trust you have when you do that is not lost on me. And so I really want to get to know you better and discover how I can better serve you, whether it's through the podcast, the YouTube channel, books or workshops. You are part of a community that I always wanted to have when I was a younger photographer. And I want a way to connect and dialogue with you, even if hundreds, if not thousands of miles separate us. So I invite you to sign up for the newsletter, which I'll be using not only to share all the different things that we're doing, but also to begin a dialogue, not only between you and me, but between everyone else who listens to the show. Because if you're a listener, you are the kind of person who not only has a passion for photography, but is the kind of photographer who is more interested in finding ways of being creative and just isn't satisfied arguing about specifications on a camera that hasn't even been released yet. But that's a discussion for another time. As a way of thanking you for signing up for the mailing list, we're giving away three ebooks that I've written over the past several years. It's just a small way of saying thank you. You can sign up by clicking on the link in the show notes or click on the tab on the Candra Frame website that reads newsletter. Thanks. So, you know, you transition back to, to Portland. So you have, you know, the, the sort of access to many of the things that you were lacking when you moved out to the Midwest, but that doesn't automatically translate into suddenly being creative, right? So what's absolutely so what's now what's what are you trying to surmount now? What what's the obstacle that's sort of preventing you from from being as creative as you think you would like to be? Oh man, that's a that I mean so so at the most um, I guess basic level. Right now, the thing that I'm surmount, I'm trying to surmount this this summer because summers are, this summer has been exceptionally hot mm-hmm. in Portland. But um, so like going out, you know, the waterfalls and the creeks and and, and the, the rivers, everything is very dry, very low flow. So there's not much to 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 even create right now with regards to water. Of course, there's the greenery, the the verdant kind of uh, rainforest and stuff. That's there, but it's um it, it the thing that that I am trying to, I'm very conscientious of is there is this, um, 
I don't want to create for the sake of creating or create for the sake of just sharing on my Instagram. There's a, I don't know if you saw it, but a couple weeks ago there was kind of a flash in the pan story of this Instagram account. And I, I apologize. I can't remember what it is, but the whole premise of it was uh, each post has like, I think like nine photos but they're all this, they're from different photographers, but they're almost exactly the same. Like they're just like, it's basically showing just how similar, how homogenous photography has become. Everyone's creating the same things. That to me, ter- that terrifies me in one respect. In one, in another, I create for my, I'll always create for myself. At the, but, but at the same time, I, it, you know, it, it, so many people have created photos, right? So many, and, and it's gone to the point where, it's so boring to me. I, I am so utterly bored of seeing beautiful sunsets and Milky Way shots and, you know, it, and, you know, beautiful vistas with big mountains and, you know, nice fog and atmosphere and depth. I'm so bored of it, of seeing it, because there are so many photos. So many people have created so much that it, there, it does, that, that's why. I believe it's so important that photographers become not just photographers, but storytellers. It's, you know, okay, the, if, I, if you took a beautiful photo of this Milky Way with the, with the Perced media shower over Mount Hood, and I took the same photo, and a hundred other people took the same photo, for me, the one that'll be most enjoyable will be the one that, that kind of gives me the most bang for my my buck as far as time spent consuming goes so if i'm spending time and oh you included a, a really interesting post maybe you give me a fact about the the media shower or you get you know some experience that of of getting there or whatever it is but something beyond just looking at the photo that to me is where um what i'm you know i, I don't know what what i'm going to be focusing on and i just hope that i still have enough gas in the tank you know to make an exp- uh, uh, interesting and creative and enjoyable experience for viewers. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I sort of beyond the 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 kind of research that I have to do for the show in terms of the images that, that I sort of try to that I'm in the pursuit of or that I focus a lot on, a large a large number of those images are images that I'm aspiring to create myself. Mm-hmm. So there's certain photographers who I think in terms of their sense of composition they're at a level that I'm not yet. And so I've looked at their images and really analyzed them and with the hope not so much of emulating what they're doing, but to be sort of conscious of those elements or those considerations that I think that they're making when I go out and shoot. Because once I go out and shoot, I'm not thinking about, you know, this person's photograph or this other person's photograph. I'm really focused in in the moment, but I'm trying to remember okay, I'm trying to do something different while I'm out here, not just repeat myself. And that's always the, the biggest challenge for me because I've got my, you know, I've got my things in my wheel well that I can, I, I can automatically do as soon as I'm out there. And I know that I can do them well, but it's like, okay, I don't want to just do that again. And, right. And, and sometimes that is a, that is a mother <laughs> to, to do, but I, th- that's when I find that what I'm doing is giving me the greatest pleasure. Not necessarily that I'm completely succeeding, but that when I look at the images, I go, oh, okay, yeah, I see it there. I'm, I, 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 I recognize in the images, even the failed ones, that I'm moving towards something that eventually will hopefully culminate in that moment where I, where I get it, where it, it comes as easy, easy is probably not the word, but it comes to me with a little less effort than it does than when I started. So for me, it's less about the final image and just posting an image in Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. It's more of what I'm in pursuit of because I have, I have little doubt that some of the images that I do share publicly, most people would just go and have said, you know, we're very critical of those pictures. But what they don't get is what I'm, what I'm chasing after. So for me, when I look at that picture, yeah, it may not be the perfect most well-composed, most well-lit photograph. But in it, I recognize something that I'm, I'm trying to achieve. So with that as my sort of focus, people's critique or feedback means less to me than it probably would have before. Yeah, it's funny. That's, a, you know, the, that's an interesting kind of segue, if anything, because I was thinking about that as well, the whole going back to photography and, and 
the grow, actual self growth as a photographer. One of the things that so I um I I send it uh, twice a year to my newsletter. I'll send a, a kind of like a product steering survey because I want to make sure that the stuff that I'm creating, if I'm asking you to spend your money, I want to make sure that it's stuff that you actually want and not products that I think you want. So one of the one of the uh, most when I asked in terms of things that people are looking for, there was a very strong, consistent request for for photo critiques. And I, I, I think a, a big part of that has to do, one, you know, identifying that the importance of, of a photography critique, like a real legitimate bona fide critique, mm-hmm. I think that doesn't get discussed often at all. And a big part of that has to do with, with you know, if someone shares a photo online, they get thrown into this kind of echo chamber of, you know, very, very passive, like beyond tapping the, the like button. If someone writes something, usually, at least in my experience, it's, it's very passive, like great photo, nice photo, beautiful photo. Um, or there'll be a question like, where did you take this or what kind of gear did you use? But there, there's not really, and with, with I think good reason, most people don't feel compelled to want to leave feedback. And in a way, it's a good thing because I think the act of, of getting, like getting honest feedback about your photos, that has to be very intentional. It has to be something that you seek out. And so I thought, all right, so I, I just like a couple of days ago um, began offering these private personalized critiques, these one-on-one critiques, and they're, they're not cheap by any stretch of the imagination because you know, every photographer needs to put a, a sign of value to their time uh, and the services they provide. But I do think that that is, if we do, if we, if we take away the whole, the whole story component, the, the kind of experiential component that I talked about before, and you just want to focus on the actual pure growth of, 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 of uh, a photographer, I think that that's an important component of it is finding someone who, you know, a photographer who you respect we admire who has a lot of experience in this, not just as a photographer, but as someone who can provide meaningful feedback and going through that process. And that, that's something that I don't, I don't know many people who talk about that these days or think about it. You know, if you're going to, a lot of times when people think about investing in, in improving their photography, they, they talk about buying a new lens or, or, or going maybe on a, on a workshop or on a trip. But that, that, that whole kind of round tripping, you know, take the, the self the requirement of self-editing and, and, and building a portfolio that really reflects who you are as a photographer. And then having that, putting that out there in front of another photographer for a very honest and unfiltered um, critique. You know, I think to me, that's a, that's something that's very underrated, underrepresented and something that, that is sorely needed um, especially for those who are, are really looking for fundamental and substantial growth. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes so much sense, and I think it it provides you uh, a sort of roadmap that you need to follow to progress. Because I think so much of what's happening today is people just producing images with no sort of end game. I was exactly. watching. I was watching um, a popular YouTube channel where they teach a lot of technique and. Skills, and I've watched it a couple of times when they when they do critiques. And one of the things that's that I've seen over and over again is sort of I don't want to say that the images are bad because they're not. It's not so much that they're they're bad, but that they're more about that they are good examples of the technique and the approach that was taught, and less about the voice of that particular photographer. And that's. I think one of the one of the traps that's you know that's pervasive in the industry as it is now because there is so much information available in blogs and in YouTube videos and so on and so forth where technique is espoused and shared and that a lot of people are eager to emulate the look of the photograph so they'll they'll you know they'll follow the sort of the outline and the structure that the that this person is is giving and then they achieve it, and then it's like, well, what's next? And th- what they simply do is they go to the next technique, the next approach. And there's like, there's no synergy between all these different things that they're learning, and it's not really resulting in them producing 
a body of work that if they did put together that would have any consistency or that would have any sort of clarity in terms of, okay, yes, you can do this technically, but who are you as a photographer? So Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, could, I couldn't agree m- more with that sentiment. And I do believe it's a product of, and I'm, I'm not trying to sound like this old, you know, fogey with my <laughs> cane and like, get off my lawn. Because um, I do believe that there is a vast value to social media. But I do believe in terms of what you said, that is the product of the, the way we interact and share our work on social media is that we have become a collection of individual photos. As a photographer, so many photographers are just a collection of individual posts. And the posts, uh, you know, if you, if you think about it, and I've seen plenty of, of these kind of articles like, you know, 10 things to grow your Instagram. It's always about making sure that there's like a consistent aesthetic, like mm-hmm. you apply the same filter or you, and, you know, you do that same kind of, you know, vintage uh, uh, look with, uh, with your tone curve. But no one really thinks about, if I were to ask a photographer to kind of, I want you to, you know, in the span of, of 10 photos, show me who you are. I, I, I worry that I'd get 10 photos of the same basic thing, not really showing any depth or any, any you know, some sort of a, a flow or, or, or an evolution. And, you know, for me, one of my, one of the, the greatest experiences, and it was, it was a pricey experience, <laughs> something like five or 6,000 bucks, but I did this very, very limited workshop in Venice and uh, in Venice, Italy. And it was, it was three people. And I did it specifically because I felt like as a photographer, as someone who's creative, I was reaching an impasse very, very quickly. This, this like all I was, I, I, I just felt like my entire life revolved around long exposure, waterfalls, greenery, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I created some, some uh, studies from that, like a, a small series that I called um, The Path of Least Resistance. But I, I was feeling very, um, uh, I don't know, constricted by that. And so I wanted to put myself in a situation where I was challenged in a completely different environment altogether in every sense of the word as a photographer, you know, geographically, uh, culturally. And, you know, in, in that week, you know, I was tasked with building a, a kind of a, a series or, you know, mini portfolio of 12 images that had a, it wasn't just 12 strong images or 12 images that looked, you know, same processing, but it had to have a very clear uh, narrative to it and that process that really uh you know lit a flame in me it was one of the best experiences and it was it was one of the best investments better than any lens i've ever bought or any camera it was just kind of investing in myself and, and that's why i think you know for uh, first i think a photographer needs to identify that they that they have to grow you know and, I, and what i mean by grow it, like it's not about going to youtube and learning about the you know uh some new Orton filter or, you know, the Bresner technique or, 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 you know, focus stacking or anything like that. Of course there's that kind of technical growth. What I'm talking about is the growth kind of almost spiritually or kind of metaphysically as a photographer, like really, like you were saying, um, just being able to kind of, uh, you know, it, it's supposed to kind of, you know, seeing how other people create photos more like getting to a point where you can identify not just how to take a photo, but identify the kind of photo you want to get. Mm-hmm. You're looking for a photo, a particular photo. Of course, the, the, the technical side of things has to be there. But if, if you're just kind of going like a pinball, just kind of like bouncing around without really any sort of um, intent, you know, there, I don't, I don't, to me, that's a very, uh, it's a, that's an exhausting thing to think about because you don't really, I don't see any creative stimulation there other than just, pressing a shutter button and hoping that you got something good. Yeah, and the goal is, is certainly important, but for me, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I've been very aware about my sort of internal, not so much internal monologue, but just, you know, what's happening inside of me and the importance of, of discomfort, of recognizing those moments of discomfort where I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing or how I'm going to do it. 
and not being scared of it and just fully embracing it. Because if I'm not feeling that, then I know I'm not challenging myself, and I know that I'm certainly not gonna, I'm not gonna grow uh, with respect to that. And and it's like if I'm not experiencing that, like for example, the longest time I've been using the Fuji uh, Fuji X100 series camera. Sure. Since I got the 100S, I think it's about four or five years I've been using just that. Got my hands on the Leica Q, which has a 28 millimeter lens on there. Mm-hmm. And man, I immediate discomfort, <laughs> right? Oh man, I know how to see the world through a 35 millimeter lens. Mm-hmm. I know exact. I don't even have to raise the camera. I know what the relationship will be, the degree of compression, all of that. And suddenly I'm here with a 28 millimeter and all of a sudden it's like that immediate sense of discomfort. Not just that you know, the fact that Oh my God! This is, can include more in the more in the frame than my thirty-five sure. millimeter can. But now it's like, can I make a good photograph with this focal length and with all the, not just not just the limitations, but just how the choice of that focal length impacts the way I'm going to interpret what's in front of me. Absolutely, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, and it's funny how if we take it to kind of uh, the the kind of the gear side of things, how something is simple or, or nominal as a few millimeters <laughs> in focal length, how that can throw you completely off from what you're used to. And it's, you know, I, for the longest time, I, uh, I always operated at the, with the kind of philosophy of wider, the better, the closer you can get me to zero millimeters or one millimeter, <laughs> <laughs> the, the better, uh, you know, 12 millimeters to 14, 14 millimeters is my jam. I loved 14 millimeters, uh, you know, and I was always jealous of Nikon shooters who, for the, they have, was that the 14 to 24 that they've always had? Mm-hmm, right. We've had, uh, when I was a Canon shooter, I had the 14 prime and now Sony has a 12 to 24, which I, which I have and, and I enjoy. But I mentioned that, that kind of a little, that the intimate workshop they did in Venice with that, I shot pretty much exclusively with this Zeiss uh, Loxia 35 millimeter F2. And I never shot. I had the 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 uh, Fuji the X100, the very first one that was plagued with like metering issues and stuff. But other than that, I never, I never used 35 millimeters. And with that, on that trip, pretty much I shot pretty much the entire time with 35 millimeters. And that for me, there were two facets of discomfort where I can completely empathize. One was the focal length because 35 to me was. It was just weird. It, it, I mean, it was just a. It was very different because I am used to like with, with wide angles. For me, it wasn't so much about being able to fit a ton of stuff in, but rather it was about me being able to really get close on a, a you know a particular focal point or an anchor and fill the frame with it and and almost leverage the distortion that that is created using that that distortion creatively. Mm-hmm. With 35, you know, there's more compression. Also, things are just kind of like, you know, a bit narrower. But on top of that, I also had the, the, it's a manual focus lens, which is something that, you know, I was very nervous about um, because it was pretty much, this was very much about street photography and, and, you know, life happening in front of you with people. And that was the other thing. I, I never, ever shoot people. I've always shot inanimate objects you know, mountains and trees. I don't need to talk to them and tell them how to pose. <laughs> I, I, I just kind of do my thing. I'm very, that's why I wouldn't, ne- I don't think I would ever make a, a good portrait or wedding photographer because I don't, I'm very much in my head. I don't know if you're, if, if you can relate to that. Like I cannot, and, and not, not because I don't know how to speak with people or, or, or engage with people. But when I'm, when I've got my camera, I don't, I can't think about <laughs> the English language or telling you, you know, I just, if if there was somehow some way where I can communicate wireless with wirelessly with you and kind of like you can read my thoughts and then okay cool but if I have to kind of like okay you know do this and turn your head this way uh, it, to me it, it completely breaks my way of concentrating on yeah, creating a photo yeah so with all that being said you know we've, we've talked about you know the struggles to being creative the, the sort of circumstances under which we are the we feel like the most creative, the most challenged. So considering we are both very wise when it comes to that, right? Sure. In, in terms of like the balance of the year, what what do you feel like you need to do or maybe are already doing 
to sort of ensure that the rest of the year is more fulfilling in terms of your creativity? I think the best thing I can do for myself is just to kind of get out of my own way mentally. I, uh, I, I feel like everything, if I go out, it has to be with the intent. I need to create, I, I, I need to, there, I need to walk away with something substantial here, either something that I can turn, you know, productize and monetize. And both Nicole and I have been very, so since we've moved back, we, we, we kind of made a goal for ourselves to just do things. For instance, we just would go like, uh, the Persed meteor shower. That's not something before we moved, before we left uh, for Lincoln a year ago. That's not something I think we would have done because it's just one of those things that happens every year. I've shot it before and I would just kind of like, eh, I don't need to go. But what I'm trying to do now is kind of get out of my own way and just kind of go and, and just, just like you said, just take your camera and just allow yourself either to create or not create and be okay with that. You know, if I, if I have my camera, I didn't turn it on once. Cool. No big deal. So that, that's kind of what I'm hoping will help is, is to kind of just like let myself not, not just become less cerebral about everything and just kind of allow it to be a little bit more organic and whimsical. And then the other thing is to kind of like experiment more. So, and this is something that I've, I've, I believe would be very beneficial to, to I think most listeners who don't have the opportunity to travel as much, but just kind of, you know, if, if all you have is like your surrounding neighborhood, one of the things that I, I, I'm doing is experimenting with things that I've never used before, like a lens baby lens, or I have this original Sony a seven, like the original, original one that I had converted to infrared. That's been just sitting there with like a nice, nice layer of dust on, on it, you know, on my sitting in the closet. And just kind of taking it out and even if the, I get nothing out of it, all the shots are unusable because, you know, but, but there, there is a, there is something there. I genuinely believe it. And I hope you agree. Like there is some physiological response to, to, to just the process of, of thinking about creating or the process of actually like, all right, you know, like in your brain, you start visualizing this photo of, I don't know, there's like a concrete, uh, just a block down, there's a concrete wall with like this, these um, vines growing down it with some lichen and moss kind of like growing on the side of it. Like, and just kind of thinking about it, that kind of spurs yeah. something. And so learning to kind of embrace that more, letting that happen more, I think is a big goal of mine for the rest of the year. For me, I'm not thinking about so much the end of the year, but for this trip, we're going to go to Paris and it's my third time there. Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking forward to is photographing the more mundane parts of my trip. Mm-hmm. Not so much the locations that we get to, but just the small stuff that never gets photographed. Because one of the things that I've been liking about some of the people who I've, whose images I really have been excited about are people who've been documenting their own lives, you know, their relationships, their family, but they're photographing things that are so ordinary in extraordinary ways that those are the kinds of images that have really excited me. Mm-hmm. And I think that having the break from not being in front of this computer practically all day that that trip is going to provide me is basically an opportunity to just live my life and to really sort of observe my life and document my life in a way that I really have just not had the, the luxury to do. Just because as soon as my wife is out the door, I'm just like, you know, got 150 things to do and mm-hmm. only time to do about 30 of them, right? So that for me, I think is going to be uh, an interesting an interesting time for me. And I think I have a strong feeling that in some ways it's going to jumpstart my creativity so that I, when I get back, I may nece- not necessarily continue in pursuit of that kind of imagery, but that that will result in a different kind of seeing that mm-hmm. will inform everything that I do subse- subsequently. And I think I'll take my cue from that when I get back and then figure it out from there. I love it. I, I, I love the way, you know, capturing ordinary things in extraordinary ways. I, I think I love that idea because in a way I feel like it absolves you. I, I believe like when, especially if you go on a trip and you're going to Paris 
you know, there, there's this, this, uh, I don't know if it's like a latent or, you know, subsurface pressure to want to create these big photos, you know, something big. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that's something I'm, I'm genuinely going to kind of think about myself. If I, if I just put that off to the side, not worry about that, but just focus on being able to visualize and observe just the everyday nuance of life. I think that will make you and me uh, more prepared for when the big moments happen. Yeah. Uh, because it's all very, I think, yeah, it's all very much just practice and, and not so much muscle memory. Cause I think that that devalues the kind of whimsical and creative side of, of photography. But just if, I think if you can teach yourself to see the very small things, the things that mo that anyone else would just overlook, that makes you that much more prepared for the, the bigger things. I think it just makes your reflexes better. So I like it. I think that's great. I kind of yeah. want to go too. And for, and for me, it'll, it'll be fun. Mm -hmm. You know, cause I, I won't be tethered to, Oh, I have to be at this location or I have to be under ideal light. And you know, my wife wants to go to this restaurant or wants to go shopping and I'm not going to be, the burden is just taken away and it's just like, Hey, just whatever happens to me and just sort of just get into the free flow of things and just enjoy myself. Sounds so, wonderful. All right. My last question, as you well know, is uh, I asked my guest to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? So there's one photographer. Her name is uh, Rachel Talibart. I just, I, I discovered her through another photographer I follow on Instagram. And if we're just going to, the thing, speaking of kind of, being able to see something that, in my opinion, gets completely overlooked. She takes the most beautiful photos of, of waves, ocean waves, that crest. Uh, and, and it just, to me, it boggles my mind just how dramatic, of course, you know, ocean waves can be dramatic, but the way that she captures them in, in the very cinematic and regal ways, uh, it, to me, is very inspiring. And it reminds me, though, like, again, the, Things that I think very people people overlook. You might be instead of not focusing on the wave, but you're focusing on the big sunset, you know, around it. To me, that's that's a very valuable lesson to just look at, just the small things, the things that the things that get over easily overlooked. That's so. Her cool. name is Rachel Talibart. Oh, I look forward to checking that out, man. Well, thank you for your for your time, Brian. Man, it's always. I, and I realize why I miss talking with you. I appreciate that. And right, right back at you. I mean, I, ho I hope to, you know, we do it more. We don't have to make it something that's like every few years. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll do this a lot, a lot more regularly, even if we don't record it. Fair enough. All right, man. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Each week, we have a segment in the show where I share thoughts, ideas, and memories that may or may not involve photography. We call it The Last Frame. This is going to be a quick one. In a few short hours, the space where I've been producing this podcast for the past 12 years is going to be gone. It's going to be used in the way it was originally intended, as a second bedroom in my house. So I'm moving. Not very far, just my backyard. Thankfully, I won't be in the tool shed, but it's close. It's my garage. But it's now being converted into an office slash studio space. I have to thank my wife for that because she has done a great job with the finances to be able to afford doing this. Now, this isn't the loft space that I dreamed about in my 20s, but believe me, it will do. But... While I'm packing up all this equipment, cables, wires, hard drives, and other stuff that I've accumulated in this small space over the past decade, I'm going to be re-listening to one of my favorite podcasts. And no, it has nothing to do with photography. It's called The Turnaround. And it's hosted and created by my friend Jesse Thorne, who some of you may know from his NPR show, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. The Turnaround is a limited-run podcast that he produced with the Columbia Journalism Review, and it features interviews with interviewers. 
Not just any interviewers. I mean, some of the very best, including Dick Cavett and Terry Gross, Ray Suarez and Katie Couric, Louis Theroux, Anna Sale, and several others. It's the ultimate masterclass for how to conduct an awesome and interesting conversation. I get a lot of praise from you guys for how I conduct my interviews on this show, for which I am grateful and flattered, but I gain so much insight listening to each of these episodes. And what's funny is that at times you will hear contradictory advice from two guests. And the cool thing is that they each find a way of making their way work for them. It's kind of like photography in that way. Different photographers have different approaches and neither is completely wrong or completely right. In the end, they each create great work. So if you're looking for something different to listen to this Labor Day weekend, subscribe and listen to The Turnaround. Even if you never end up interviewing anyone yourself, you'll have a greater appreciation for those that do and do it masterfully. And that's The Last Frame. Thanks to Brian for spending time with us. To find out more about Brian and his work, visit brianmateish.com. And I'm going to be in New York City on the weekend of October 13th. And I'm conducting a small, intimate workshop that Saturday. I'm limiting it to only four people. It's a little bit of an experiment that I'm trying. And it should be a lot of fun. The workshop is not listed on my site. And you'll only know about it if you listen to this show. So it's just $399. And if you're interested, email me directly at info at thecandidframe.com. I only have two slots left and it's first come, first serve. So if you're interested, don't hesitate. Reach out to me ASAP. If you're a fan of The Candid Frame, take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. It helps our ranking, but it also creates awareness of the show. Though it only takes a few minutes, you'll be making a huge difference. Take the time to do it today. Thanks to Mal Tollers from Sweden for his five-star review. Tak. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, you help us meet the cost of production and help us to bring you these episodes each week. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal. It's your support that helps us bring you conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. Do it today. Thanks to Kyle Taylor and Malt Ohlers for their recent contributions. Can't thank you enough, guys. It was your support that allowed us to create the free Candid Frame app, which is the easiest way to access every episode of the Candid Frame. Available for Apple iOS and Android, you automatically receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet. And you can easily search for episodes based on name or keyword and save your favorite episode for repeated listening. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbadianX. And this is IbadianX, and this is The Candid Frame.